With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Everybody, it's Off Road Live. The outrage continues right here, live from the Desert Tower Studios, with our friends Ram Trucks, Hard Rock, Marlboro, Budweiser, Red Bull, BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja. This is your host, Monster Mike. The Baja crew is also here in studio, working to make sure everything online is up to date, and we've got all of our interviews all set and ready to run. Today, a special 
episode 1505, and that's the total career of us online and all over the United States and North America on ESPN and Fox News. Uh, our guests today include Rob McCacharin. Yes, the president of SCORE is even here for our interview. Roger Norman, and of course our recreation specialist, John Stewart, is here with us now. John, how are you? Hey, Mike, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for calling in today. I know we're right on the precipice of your travels around the West. Uh, what are you doing this week and next uh, uh, in the West uh, representing your clients? Well, this uh, this week, in fact, tomorrow I head for Sacramento uh, to uh, attend the uh, California Off-Highway Motor Vehicle Recreation Commission meeting, which will be up in uh, Folsom, California area. Uh, so that's uh, a day of finding out what the uh, OHMVR division and the recreate and the OHMVR program is up to in the current status. And I head from there, and I'll get back to that, and head from there over to uh, uh, Las Vegas for the North, uh, well, the Blue Ribbon Coalition uh, annual board meeting and the uh, member meeting, and then followed by the North American Recreation Council meeting on Monday and the SEMA show for the remainder of the week. Wow, you are busy. You're going to put some mileage on your vehicle. Now, what's the goal? You're hitting the road. You're shaking hands. You're uh, talking about policy. What's the goal? Well, the goal uh, for California is that uh, we want to uh, keep the off-highway motor vehicle program alive. It's coming up for a uh, sunset review here, and uh, uh, the various recreation groups are pressuring pressuring the uh, division and uh, others to uh we want the program to continue we do know that there are some changes we would like to see and it's a matter of uh getting a permanent deputy director in the position rather than somebody that's splitting position between uh, OHB and the boating and waterways uh you know divided attention and then we want to make sure that the grants program is maintained and maintained active and over the years we've had a Oh, about two hundred uh, million, or just a little, a little under two hundred million dollars uh, borrowed from the trust fund, uh, and we're trying to get that uh, the state to reimburse for that money that they have, uh, you know, taken from the trust fund from the user user paid trust fund and uh, set it off to other uses in the uh, in the state. So. Well, we're so lucky. The public is so lucky to have you working in this uh, position, uh, John. Uh, you know, I, I do want to speak on behalf of those recreationalists who don't know you. They don't know your job. They don't know what you're getting accomplished. And uh, I want to, you know, on their behalf, uh, let you know that we really appreciate what you're doing um, and that uh, – we're going to salute and, and point out a way that they can help you out right away. Uh, okay. What's number one, first thing that uh, folks can do to support your work? Uh, 
Well, I am one of several, uh, and I represent one of several membership organizations in the state, and organization mem- uh, organizations cannot live and exist without members. And the membership is very important. Uh, I come with the California Four-Wheel Drive Association and the Blue Ribbon Coalition, uh, Blue Ribbon being national. But within California, we have Cal Four-Wheel. And if you're an AMA member and a dirt bike rider, uh, you have AMA District 36, District 37, and District 38 who are all impacted by these issues. Uh, Your membership in those organizations, your membership dollars there, go to help support lawsuits and uh, uh, lobbying efforts in Sacramento. Also, I don't want to ignore the uh, American Sand Association is another partner of the California Nevada Snowmobile Association. So it's it's really a, a, a wide and diverse group of recreation interests and recreation organizations that uh, do work together in order to represent the uh, – recreational interest within the state. No, that's super important. So Cal Four Wheel, uh, the uh, uh, motorcycle uh, uh, districts in the state of California, and the sand and snow people. Right. Wow, that's a a great uh, group of people. It is, and there's there's a lot of of diverse opinions, which is good uh, because that gets us a a healthy debate about what is necessary, and it does bring a wide perspective so that we do get legislation that addresses a wide perspective of interest. Because the state has so much to offer for OHV recreation, and there are so many challenges to keep it part of the uh, the public domain. So. Oh, no question about it. You know, one of the challenges is I can see the benefit to all these organizations and that the state is so large you can have a good size membership but the challenge uh possibly is even greater that uh the um folks who are in control of the uh knobs and and levers of uh you know what we do recreationally in the state are far away from us. I mean, this is a huge, I mean, this could be its own country. California could be its own country. It's so large, and some uh, people say it's out of control simply because uh, those politicians are so far away and the administrators are so far away from the public. So having someone like you go directly to locations like, might I say, Folsom. Now, I do know there's a recreational area there. I know there's a prison there. Haven't visited. And if it wasn't for Johnny Cash, I wouldn't know about it. Right. But, if, yeah. I mean, Folsom is, what, 600 miles away from uh, Southern California? Yeah, I'm not quite that. That's close, about 520, something like that. So, yeah, it's getting up there. It's just right outside, right east of uh, Sacramento, and uh, right next door to Folsom is Prairie City, S, you know, State Vehicle Recreation Area. And people that watch the uh, Hangtown uh, motocross event will be familiar with Prairie City because that's the home of Hangtown. Okay, so uh, John, you've you've outlined very well for us uh, the work, why, who and uh, what you're doing uh, this upcoming uh, couple of weeks. Wow, I, I tip my hat to you. I wouldn't want the job. I know a lot of other people wouldn't want it because, you know, it, 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 
you have to deal with two things that most people have a challenge in dealing with. And that's, number one, it's other people, and the other is policy. Yes, and that's always uh, always a challenge, and it's a matter of, uh, yeah, I do end up going to a lot of meetings. Sometimes I walk away with the meetings to say, well, was that a waste of time? Did I accomplish anything? But then I look at it on the flip side. You know, I, I accomplished something by just being there and not letting other people get by with knowing that OHB Recreation doesn't care and and then let them move forward with, with a frame of mind. It's a, I, I consider all uh, meetings with the agency leaders to be very important because it keeps OHB Recreation in front of the leaders and it makes them think when they come around to the decision time are they addressing their constituents or the uh are the are they addressing the public with uh the interests of the public the entire public in mind wow and that's i i know that must happen all the time where they quickly hold these you know it's not a secret meeting but they'll put out one notice and they'll hope they'll cross their fingers a lot of these people do that you know nobody shows up and they can have their way and suddenly yeah. John John Stewart shows up and points his finger at uh, those people about uh, the need for off highway recreation right and it's just a matter of uh, keeping in the face of the uh, agency leaders and the decision makers to let them know that yes OHV is important it's important to a large segment of the population in the state and we're trying to work up the numbers and uh, and some of the rough estimates we have is OHB recreation is about a six billion dollar a year industry within the state of California. Yeah, no question about it. It's massive. It's huge. But what's amazing is a, a good part of the uh, OHV public is kind of invisible. I mean, they, uh, unless you're out at Glamis and Thanksgiving. These folks don't want to be seen. They want to go out and have their recreation, you know, with their buddies, their friends, their families, and they don't want to be hassled. And that's that's true. And uh, you know, when when you get in on the demographic side, uh, the OHB recreation experience has always been a big family experience. But one thing we found is that a lot of the uh, recreation people are are getting older with a little bit more gray around the uh, around the temples and you know salt and pepper look in the hair and we're also finding though that we're starting to get a number of younger kids uh, under 30 coming into the sport and being active and this I think is a I believe is a good thing but what uh, shows is we have pretty much a lost generation in there of uh, within the yeah, late 30s to late 40s time frame when uh, there were other interests that drew them away. And now it is maybe the gray-haired people are bringing their grandkids out, and that's the way they're getting the young kids involved. Uh, But whatever it is, is the young kids are starting to come out and starting to be involved and starting to be uh, visible on the recreation scene, which that's, that's a good thing. That's no question about that. And you know, John, I uh, didn't know what the point that you just made, uh, that lost generation, but we've got to talk about that in a future show. 
that is surprising, and it's something that we need to address and uh, and talk about that here on Off Road Live. Uh, let's move on uh, to uh, a topic that uh, I brought up in the pre-interview, uh, the, the pre-show interview, and it has to do with Representative Cook's uh, uh, publicity uh, having to do with uh, uh, off-highway recreation and uh, access um, having to do with the West. Uh, John, can you frame it up for us about what's happening uh, with that? Uh, there's There's been communications. There's been uh, publicity having to do with Representative Cook. What's it all about? Okay. Uh, it is about creating legislation which is like sausage making. If you love sausage, don't watch how it's made. <laughs> but the uh, real thing is that it boils down to the California desert Senator Feinstein has introduced a uh, bill in the Senate for creation of uh, two new monuments plus uh, various other, you know, protecting some OHV areas in the uh, in the California desert. Now, laws do not go and get passed by being just in the Senate or just in the House. And Representative Cook is carrying a companion bill similar in nature in the House of Representatives. So the current discussion is about Cook's bill, and from a recreation perspective, the recreation community is more in favor of Cook's bill than they are of the Feinstein bill because of some extra protections and extra language written into there which provide for legislative protection of recreation opportunities. So, What are those? Uh, one of the uh, big things is in the El Mirage OHB area uh, that's operated by the uh, BLM Barstow area. Yes, sir. There is a uh, segment of land that will be added to that OHB area, which will provide for protection for some awesome four-wheel drive opportunity trails. Now, there are uh, other... Uh, slight changes, slight variations on uh, uh, cherry-stemmed or protected roads within the Mojave Desert region, and uh, this is generally from Barstow East and kind of framed with that triangle between uh, Interstate 40 on the south and Interstate 15 on the north throughout that area. Uh, that's what Feinstein is pushing forward as the Route 66 monument. And uh, there are, you know, while she is allowing some uh, existing OHV activity to remain on designated trails within the Cooks bill, Cooks bill, it carries those protections just a little bit further and a little bit more uh, uh, on the OHV side than what uh, Feinstein's bill does. So, so essentially, he's countering what Feinstein is attempting to accomplish. Right. He is uh, he is putting in the House version of Feinstein's bill with some added twists that he wants, and some of those twists deal with uh, protection of mining issues, which Feinstein uh, ignores and does not address in her legislation. And then there's some other about some energy uh, energy development zones. Uh, so those are some other minor things that are being tossed into the mix. Uh, and now the challenge yeah, I can is, I can see what you mean that it's sausage making. Now the challenge is to uh, get uh, have both bills be heard by their respective uh, committees 
and then get a uh, vote on the floor, you know, Feinstein's on the floor of the Senate, and then uh, Cook's on the, the floor of the House. And then it, because there are differences, they will go into a reconciliation process, and we'll see what comes out at the end there. Okay. And uh, uh, let me get this straight in my head, but uh, am I right that Feinstein has a history of representing folks like the Sierra Club? Uh, absolutely. Okay, and and uh, uh, who does uh, I, this is the first time I've heard of Representative Cook. Who typically does he represent? Um, Cook, uh, I think this is his second term in the House of Representatives, and uh, his particular district covers the a lot of the Barstow to uh, Johnson Valley area. Oh, a local. And uh, yes, he is. He's the local representative for that area. And in fact, Cook yes, was the one that uh, helped push forward the uh, legislative protections for uh, for the uh, Johnson Valley uh, OHB area, and uh, came up with that shared use point between the OHB and the Marines, so that the Marines didn't get all of it; they only got. They they would get a shared use section uh, when they needed it and with advance notice and discussion with the OHB community. Very interesting. Very interesting. When, in your mind, John, do you think that there there will be a confluence or some kind of uh, conclusion to the sausage making? Uh, Flip a coin. Right now we're looking at uh, very... uh, uh, acrimonious uh, political dynamics in Washington, D.C., uh, and it is kind of a toss-up as to whether public lands bills will move through, uh, and if they do, as to what condition they will move through under. Uh, you know, it's the Senate is really not looking to hand uh, the Democrats anything that they can gloat about or or praise, which is Feinstein being a Democrat, there is some animosity to uh, moving her legislation forward. And in the House of Representatives, uh, Representative uh, Bishop, uh, who was the chairman of the House Natural Resources Committee, has a lot of bills that the House has to move and act on, and he has put a priority on dealing with uh, Bills that are in legislation that are submitted by members of his committee. As yeah, the, uh, and and, I'm, and am I right, John, that that this also this whole topic was uh, now I might be, I might be wrong. My memory is you know fallible. Uh, am I am I recalling correctly that there was a general understanding between the OHV community and the Feinstein office about what was being moved forward, and then suddenly the whole table was pulled out. Well, yeah, there was a new wrinkle added into it is that uh, Feinstein had uh, declared her intentions for years was that, and this this whole Feinstein bill is six, seven years in the making, but all throughout this, Feinstein has been uh, saying that she wanted to have legislation move forward, and she did not want to have her monuments uh, move forward with a presidential proclamation. Well, this last summer, uh, I believe it was in August, uh, Senator Feinstein submitted a 
letter to uh, Obama requesting that Obama create not two but three monuments in the California desert. Yeah, that's political maneuvering. It's very clear. And as a matter of fact, it sounds like she knew that she would have to do this. And then from the very uh, get-go said, okay, this is what I don't want to do, nudge, nudge, hint, hint, knowing that I'm going to have to do it because of the politics in D.C. Right. And uh, you know, just to make this clear, this is this is not just, just a California issue. Right. Uh, this is also happening very big, big time in uh, Colorado and in uh, Utah. And in fact, right. there's a uh, competing measures of a of a uh, bill that uh, legislation that uh, Bishop uh, now Bishop is from Utah, but there's a legislation that they're looking at already, uh, and uh, there the competing interests have put forth a request to Obama in order to sign off a lot of that land under discussion as a uh, national monument under the Antiquities Act. So, Well, let me do a clarion call then for uh, all the off-roaders of the West. Uh, there are winners and there are losers in D.C., period. That's a quote from Rush Limbaugh. And uh, let let it be known that uh, if you're interested in this topic, you live in Barstow, you uh, use the desert for your recreation, you need to get a hold of uh, John Stewart, stay up on this stuff, uh, sponsor uh, particular projects with him so that uh, you can make sure that your grandkids will be able to recreate and do the things that you've been doing for all the years that you've been doing it. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, uh, we could lose uh, very key aspects to a lifestyle that uh, many of us grew up uh, assuming that it was going to be there. And suddenly, uh, you know, the, the desert isn't as big as it used to be. So we yeah. highly recommend reaching out to John Stewart. Uh, the representative uh, organizations uh, that he represents and join them, uh, even if it's a, a, a simple membership with the Cal Four Wheel uh, organization, it can go a long way in uh, helping John, helping the organization, and helping your interests across this great land. Uh, and that's the way things work. We don't like talking about politics, but uh, when we have to, we must. And uh, we're just so blessed uh, to have someone as adept and uh, hands-on as John Stewart speaking with us here on Off-Road Live. Uh, and truly, I mean that from uh, deep in my heart, John. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up or, or identify prior to your uh, uh, national travels that you'll be making uh, in the next couple of weeks? No, I think that uh, covers the uh, most uh, current up-to-date status of what is going on, and uh, you know, it's, it's we're entering into an election year, and this is going to be a pivotal election year uh, through, you know, for the nation, and uh, it, uh, you know, the, the stated goal by all this alarmist talk about global warming and the climate change and all that is being man-made. Uh, underneath that talk is the fact that that man-made global climate change is all due to the uh, 
internal combustion engines. So there's a big move to essentially remove inter internal combustion engines. What is recreation going to be like without that? Well, in the state of California is fortunately or unfortunately a leader uh, in Sacramento uh, to, you know, attacking uh, uh, the uh, internal combustion engine and the entire industry surrounding that. And, of course, the, the recreation community is affected by that, obviously. So, uh, absolutely, John, uh, we greatly appreciate uh, your reporting. And, uh, again, one more time, we have to do this. Folks, if you're interested in this topic, uh, John, how do people get a hold of you, and how do they join the organizations that support you? Well, you can, uh, you know, from the national perspective or outside of California, I encourage you to join the Blue Ribbon Coalition at uh, sharetrails.org. Uh, membership, membership information is there. And in California, we have, you know, cal4wheel.com. Uh, membership information is also there. Uh, also, if your if your uh, recreation bend is with motorcycles uh, for District uh, 36 and District 37 and 38, their websites. I don't have their website information off the top of my head, but they are also uh, very supportive of uh, of the efforts because it means a lot to their membership. So. Uh, join those organizations, and if you want to contact me directly through my website at 4x4wire.com, uh, my contact information is there. That's uh, jstewart at mac.com. John, again, excellent, excellent reporting. Uh, we really love having you on the show. It's great on point, very important fulcrum uh, kind of stuff that uh, uh, we all uh, need to be involved in. And listen, if you're just enjoying it or if you're just racing and all that kind of stuff, uh, hopefully you at least know that there are people like John Stewart who are working to keep things open and alive for us to enjoy all this great stuff uh, here in the state of California and in the West, uh, in the great country of the United States of America. We uh, Again, John, we greatly appreciate your reporting here on Off-Road Live. Well, thank you, Mike. I enjoy it, and I you know, hope to stimulate some people to become involved and keep carrying the fight forward for a new generation. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, safe travels and good luck uh, on all the policy work in the next couple of weeks. All right, Mike. Thank you, and uh, take care, and we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Stay tuned, everybody. We've got Roger Norman and Rob Mack, McCackerin for your information, up next on Off-Road Live.
visitar Emporio. Ahorre, no compre sin visitar Emporio. something like 1,505, and that includes reports to KNX, reports to the Associated Press, reports to CBS, ABC, and NBC having to do with desert racing. It's kind of an all-inclusive number, and if you turn it around, by the way, you get 5150, which... uh, Should make some sense to some of you if you've been listening to the reporting of Desert Off-Road Racing and, of course, Baja Racing News, which has included all of the excellent radio shows from Mexican Radio, Cabo Radio, the stuff we've done live from uh, Cabo San Lucas at the uh, Cabo Wabo and other assorted locations. You should know.
live. Monster Mike, the Baja crew. All of our friends are here. You can be too. Just tune into the show. We are live. You can jump on board. Any different media. We'll take your comments, plug them in. You can even call in. We'll get to it in a second. Off road live. Ram trucks. Marlboro, Hard Rock, Budweiser, and Red Bull.
Be sure to thank our friends. They can be yours. Ram Trucks. Hard Rock. Marlboro. Budweiser. Red Bull. And the King of Baja. BajaSafari.com. This is Monster Mike, your humble host. We are surrounded by the Baja crew. And a pyre celebrating the Baja 1000. Roger Norman, the punk-ass bitch, is next. Stay tuned. One five oh five of Off Road Live. Roger Norman of Score International's next live right here on Off Road Live.
with the Off-Road Live, Monster Mike and the Baja Crew from the Desert Tower Studios. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. You know, starting and finishing in the heart of Ensenada in front of the historic Riviera Del Pacifico Cultural Center, the course of the Baja 1000 travels in a counterclockwise direction this year. It includes the approximate 35-mile stretch to Ojos Negros, which is in both directions. Outgoing from the start and incoming during the uh, finish, the course heads south from Ojos through Santo Tomas and along the Pacific Ocean. Featuring seven checkpoints, the approximately 840-mile course covers both sides of the peninsula and parallels Highway 1 for nearly half the race. Looping south back to the Pacific and then crossing over to the other side of the peninsula, below Puertecitos. The course then heads up north along the Sea of Cortez, past the tranquil San Felipe Palapa Village, paralleling Highway 5 and up to the junction with Highway 3. The rugged course then parallels Highway 3, traveling west then northwest back into Ojos Negros and the vaunted finish line for the 2015 Baja 1000 in Ensenada coming up next month. Now, uh, right here uh, we have uh, Roger Norman live, uh, and he's going to tell us, he's got a prepared statement, and he's going to tell us all about the upcoming race in November, but he also has some additional new details about what's going to happen next year in 2016. And by the way, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here. Felipe, it's the 30th anniversary of the Bed Light Score San Felipe 250. Uh, April 16th to the 17th is the Bed Light Score Baja Sur 500. This great race will now start and finish in La Paz on, on the Malacan. Uh, that race is going to be very interesting because it's going to run around all seas. It'll run uh, the Pacific Ocean. It'll run the, uh, the East Cape along the ocean uh, for probably 70 miles, 80 miles. Now, Roger, uh, let me get this straight. It's uh, it's a knockoff of the Dos Mares race. Dos Mares meaning two seas. I think you uh, uh, misphrased it as uh, all seas, because if you did the all seas, it would be a global uh, desert race across the entire planet. Uh, and it will also run along the Sea of Cortez up above uh, La Paz. So that race course is going to hit some areas that uh, – that it haven't ever been put together in a, in, a, in a giant loop race like that before. So it'll be, be a lot of fun. It'll be hitting a lot, of, uh, a lot of my favorite little towns. Yeah, your favorite little towns and, of course, the favorite little towns of every Baja Sorino, uh going around. It's a, now, listen, I know you can't talk about it, but it's a, it's a complete knockoff of the Dos Mares 500, which is Dr. Murillo's race from Baja South. Have you ever talked to anybody about you stealing just outright stealing the date and, you know, the, the schedule of the race and the, and the course and everything? Okay, he's wagging his head no. Well, uh, Roger, go ahead, and you can continue in your, uh, your statement. Um, June 4th will be the Bed Light Score Baja 500. That will be a loop race. September 17th to the 18th, we'll see the all-new Bud Light Score Desert Challenge presented by Rosarito Beach. This new edition will feature... Uh, 35-mile loops around the Great Beach scenery locations that will make this race a must-run for 2016. 
Now, that one's a knockoff of the Cuervos guys, right? Cuervos Motocross had a, a, a Rosarito 200 for, you know, a years. And then all of a sudden, last year, they had to cancel their 4th of July thing that they said it was going to be right on the beach at Papa's. You know, what's the deal with Papa's uh, in this whole thing? That race is going to be really exciting because it's going to be, it's going to be um, started and finished uh, at Papa's and Beer on the beach with uh, the surf finish ramp. So that'll that'll be uh, quite a new thing for. Yeah, do yourself a favor, turn off your damn phone, okay? And quite a new thing for Papa's and beer. I don't think they've ever had a race start and finish at the bar. Well, uh, that may be true in Rosarito, but we know that happens uh, every year in Ensenada. It starts and finishes at the bar. So that uh, I don't know if you guys have been down there, but that bar is absolutely amazing. We're gonna have a lot of fun there. Uh, and then uh, we have the uh, November 19th to the 20th, the 49th Bud Light Score Baja 1000. All of next year's races uh, will be featured in Dana Brown's new Dust 2 Glory film. Uh, so that's going to be very exciting about next year. He's going to be down filming at this year's Baja 1000 as well. As well. So um, uh, there's going to there's, uh, be a lot of opportunities to get great footage and uh, put together a, a really beautiful movie. The Baja 1000 this year runs uh, counterclockwise. It uh, hits, uh, goes up to Ojos and then uh, then down to Europan. Okay, uh, folks, hold, let me hold you just uh, just for a second, Roger. Okay, now we're talking about this year's 2015 uh, Baja 1000. Go ahead, Roger. Uh, through the traditional route uh, through to Santo Tomas and on down the uh, Pacific uh, for approximately 100 miles of racing on the beaches of the Pacific Ocean. And then it turns inland uh, around El Rosario. Uh, the race course is going to uh, have all 100% new course that nobody's ever raced on before. And then it takes the traditional route over towards Catavina. And uh, actually, part of the race course goes uh, kind of to the backside of Matomi Wash. Uh, so it's it's um, it's it's uh, going to be very interesting because that section has never been raced on before either. Um, and then. Uh, over by Cocos Corner, uh, there's a new section of race course that we've never seen before, and that section is uh, is going to bypass Frog Canyon, but it's going to add on a whole bunch of new mileage that's all new and exciting. Yeah, let, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, the, the part that you talked about, Matomi, the backside of Matomi, is actually an area where many Baja adventures uh, go to on a regular basis. That's called the Grand Canyon of Baja, and that, that should be interesting for uh, this year's competition. And then uh, we run up uh, from Gonzaga up to uh, Portocitos Road. It's going to be um, uh, pavement. And, and then from there, it's the traditional route on right through San Felipe, uh, through Zoo Road, and, and up the Big Whoops to Three Poles, and, and then uh, over to uh, San Matias uh, on pretty much the traditional route that we've done many times in the past. <clears throat> and then uh, the race course goes uh, up the Go Trail and, um, and then on back uh, through the traditional route that we've run most of the time over the last five years. Well, we greatly appreciate uh, Roger Norman uh, being with us today to give us the uh, wrap-up of what's happening with this year's 2015 Baja 1000. Thank you very much, Roger. And, of course, uh, uh, next year's schedule of events and scheduled of uh, ripped-off races, you know, the Cuervos guys, 
got their Rosarito uh, uh, Beach uh, event stolen, and they had to fire 75 employees of the municipality down there just to pay Roger. Uh, pretty interesting story. We'll talk more about it later. And then, of course, uh, uh, the Dos Mares race. This year it's going to be a loop out of La Paz and to La Paz, which is a just a total frontal ripoff of Dr. Murillo's uh, Dos Mares race. So that's going to be interesting. We'll see how the Baja Serenos uh, shit and piss all over that thing this year because at this year's event uh, they totally did not race in your race, uh, Roger. I mean, you're aware of that, right? And then they raced in the Dos Marios race, gave them the largest field of racers ever in the history of Dos Marios. So thanks, Roger. Really appreciate that. This is Off Road Live, Monster Mike, the Baja Crew. Let's get back to Off Road Live.
everybody. Off-Road Live, Monster Mike, the Baja Crew, live from the Desert Tower Studios in the Big Bad Desert. You know, one of the interesting observations we had this week was that Roger Norman is ripping off our on-the-beach concept. (laughs) Just look at the stuff that just came out. There's on-the-beach all over the place. Listen, fucknut. Get your own fucking ideas, bitch! Seriously. Monster Mike back. It's off-road live from the Desert Tower Studios in the Big Bad Desert. Roger Norman doesn't have an original idea from his brain. He steals everything. We challenge you to come up with an original idea in the next seven days. Do some public admission that is unique, please. Otherwise, we're going to beat you like a bitch.
Off-Road Live, Screamin' Jay Hawkins, Rockin' Away. Next up, as promised, Rob McCachran, the current king of Baja. Um, but it, it definitely, you know, everyone's looking at it. The sequential Sandys, you know, they've been tried a little bit in Pro 2 without too much success, um, mainly because of the limited grip that the Pro 2 already has. Uh, you put a manual transmission to it, especially with a clutch, it's just going to spin the rear tires, and you're not going to be able to hook up. So the converter in an automatic transmission helps, uh, I guess you so-called call it a Band-Aid, kind of helps with that traction level. And then moving into the trophy trucks, yeah, we are seeing, you know, a few, few more and more people wanting to or, or testing the waters with the manual transmission in their truck. Right now, you know, two of the guys that are qualifying very well in both Best in the Desert and, and SCORE, Dale Dondell and Best in the Desert and Robbie Gordon and SCORE, um, they both have manual transmissions. But for the most part, both of them struggle during the race. It's, it seems like it's not a reliable package yet. seem to have failures. Or they seem to not be able to drive as hard during the race as they do in qualifying. So we're starting to see a few other teams, you know, attack using the manual transmission. Uh, we'll just see. You know, I'm on a... I'm on a keep it simple, stupid plan and uh, keep it reliable and uh, make sure you, you know, you're able to win races and win a championship with the sponsors that we have, you know, especially BF Goodrich. They're, they're all about winning championships. And um, that's one of the things that I pride myself upon is I feel like after racing for 30 years, I'm a guy that knows how to win a championship and definitely can't be having failures during the race to do that. So we've, um, you know, with the trophy truck, we definitely stuck with the, the automatic transmission. We do have our eye on all the manual transmissions that are out there and the people that are using them, paying attention um, to when they become reliable. But at this point right now, I don't think it's something that, that you, um, you know, if you're going for the championship, I don't think that, that the manual transmission is the key to that. I think, I think the Keto manual transmission is helping you qualify first and be quick, but I don't think, you know, winning the big races and the long distances, I think it's a little bit of a gamble still. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of a, you know, it's a good point you said, you know, and it's almost like, you know, you let these other guys go out and, and develop these things and, and uh, make them bulletproof, and then, you know, the rest of us will step in, you know what I mean, after it's proven, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, talking about that, though, I mean, you know, you were talking about manual transmissions, but, I mean, uh, you know, you've seen, I mean, you've been a guy that's, uh, you know, pretty much competed in in trophy truck, uh, you know, since Sal, you know, the inception in the early 90s. I mean, you've seen the trends in this class, and, you know, and, and for a long time, I mean, the technology kind of stayed the same. I mean, you know, obviously more horsepower, bigger brakes, but... You know, now it seems like we're seeing a trend. Obviously, you you know the gearboxes, but uh, you know now there's an all-wheel drive truck that uh, you know Geyser's just you know debuted, and uh, you know you've got Josh Daniel with uh, twin turbos. I mean, do you think in the next five years we're going to see uh, you know a huge change in technology in the class, or do you think at the end of the day we're still uh, still going to be you know where we're at with these uh, with the with the trucks we're running now? Well, in the past, you know, you mentioned four-wheel drive, and in the past that's happened before. We've had some four-wheel drive trucks be built, um, and really none of them showed that they were dominant. Um, you know, they, they, the Herbs brothers had a, a, a trophy truck that was four-wheel drive, and they, they won some races with it. But I think, you know, today the competition is so stiff and so tight compared to then. Um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of people that get in the trophy truck class, you know, they, they want to they wanna be successful. They want to still have fun. They don't want to you know, go through a whole lot of research and development trying to get something to work. And I think it's a gamble, but we are seeing 
um, people trying. You know, they're they're looking out of the box, um, and and with Geysers building that new four wheel drive trophy truck, you know, they they they're out of the box a little bit. Um, they they have a proven package with their two wheel drive trophy trucks, and they just added four wheel drive into it. Um, the first race, Vegas, you know, finished um, the race, which is you know that's quite a feat in itself um, with a brand new truck. So, you know, the the sequential trannies, the four wheel drive. You know, probably building, you know, I think people are starting to think about building lighter trophy trucks. Um, a lot of this stuff has kind of been done before, and, uh, you know, we keep coming back to the same thing, and it's it's the, the tried and true, reliable type of a truck. And I, I don't know, you know, until people come in here with really unlimited budgets and they're willing to go out there, spend a ton of money, not only on the race truck being built, but also doing the, the, the testing, and everything it's going to take to make it reliable, I kind of think, you know, we're, we're it's going to be a little while. You know, I think until something shows that it's that it's proven itself that it's going to be reliable, it's going to take that until other people start doing it. I, I, I think it's all about, you know, obviously people want to win. They want to win championships, and there's people that want to have fun. And it's definitely not, not any fun sitting on the side of the road watching everybody else drive by you. I can, I can tell you that. So, I, I like I said earlier, I'm I'm part of the keep it simple stupid guy plan, and um, you know until I see somebody like that starting to dominate, I think we're going to stick with stick with what we got. Yeah, for sure. You know, and uh, you know, talking about that, I mean, obviously it's working for you coming off a Blue Water Desert Challenge win. I know, uh, shoot, you've had some pretty good luck here in Parker with uh, with with that event. Uh, you know, and we're kind of rolling right into the Baja 1000. I think, well, we're a week week out from qualifying for the thousand. Yeah, we. Um, Yes, exactly. Uh, a week from tomorrow, we'll be qualifying at the SEMA show. Um, all the trophy trucks will be on display up there out in the front parking lot in front of the, um, the off-road building. And on Tuesday, uh, we will, in the afternoon, we'll uh, parade our all of our trophy trucks, probably about, I would assume there's 30 to 40 of them that will parade out to the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And um, Tuesday night, uh, we'll do qualifying for the Ball 1000. It's kind of a unique event. Um, We'll run on the Lucas Oil short course track there, run a little bit of a road course, go in and do turns three and four of a half-mile pave oval, go back out through some fences, out in a parking lot, and then back into the short course track for about a about a three- to four-mile loop, and uh, that'll be our qualifying. It'll be at nighttime, so we'll have our KC lights on. And, um, you know, it, it's pretty cool. It's kind of kind of a different situation, you know, than what we're used to. We're used to qualifying out in the desert completely. But um, it's a great event. It's a great, you know, to be able to to showcase the trophy trucks in front of, you know, all the people at the SEMA show, and uh, letting some of the people that haven't ever seen a trophy truck, you know, up personal, um, let them see them and realize that the technology that is in these trophy trucks it's a pretty incredible thing. And uh, you know, to this day, uh, when I get to go drive across the desert at 100 miles an hour through two and three foot whoops, um, I'm constantly reminding myself and pinching myself. You know, about how lucky I am and how impressed I am with these trucks today. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, that's what's funny. You know, you mentioned, you know, a lot of people who haven't seen trophy trucks. I think, you know, they, they see it on TV or even short course on TV and stuff, but then, you know, and, and I don't think they think much of it. And, you know, and somebody walks up to a trophy truck for the first time and starts looking at, you know, in it and around it, and they're like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? I, I just don't think they fathom until they're actually, you know, see it, feel it, touch it, you know, in, in the flesh that they're like, oh man, this is just like another level, you know? Yeah, many times um, whenever, you know, I see someone or meet someone that's their first short course race or desert race, um, you know, one of the first words out of their mouth is how incredible it is and how, how, how more impressed they are 
with what the trucks are capable of doing. And it's the same with anything. When you're there in person and you feel, you know, the noise and you feel the rumble and you, you when the trucks land, it's, you know, almost sitting in the grandstands, you can feel that. Um, it's, it's definitely an eye-opener. And, you know, just this, this yesterday, um, racing the, at the Lucas Oil Series in, in Elsinore, um, for the first time all year, I went and sat and watched the Pro 2 practice yesterday because I was only racing the Pro 4. And as I'm watching the Pro 2 trucks go around the track, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, do I do that? Do we go that fast? So, um, you know, inside the vehicle, to me, you know, it's old hat, feels all comfortable with everything. And when I get outside of it, I'm just like, oh, go, wow, we are going fast. We are flying high. So, you know, to anyone out there to, to witness, you know, I encourage them, to, to go to an off-road race, to go to a short course race and check it out. I, I'm sure you'll be impressed. You'll become a fan right away. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it really is. I mean, especially Elsinore with the size of the jumps, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. And, uh, you know, I want to mention another thing, uh, you know, you've kind of brought Tanner Faust in, uh, you know, into the fold, I think this year and, and been helping him a lot. And I, I know I talked with him after his first Lucas race, and I think it was out at Elsinore. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes it. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. Thank you. 
Off-Road Live. To our second hour, this is Off-Road Live, Monster Mike, the Baja Crew, Ram Trucks, Hard Rock, Marlboro, Budweiser, Red Bull, and BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja. October 28th, experience the Baja 1000 live online. You'll be able to feel the hard-pounding action of off-road racing and knowing every move and every turn of your favorite drivers throughout the Baja 1000 from the comfort of your own comfy chair at home. BajaRacingNews.com is celebrating its 15th year of exclusive coverage of the Baja 1000. And we're wrapping it as the king of Baja 1000, the in-your-face desert off-road race stories and images Internet racers demand today at their fingertips. On demand. Yes, and even murder online. The drawing for starting positions for all classes, except for the featured score trophy truck and unlimited class one, will be held here on BajaRacingNews.com live this Wednesday, October 28th. The trophy trucks, the Marquee Desert Racing Division, for high-tech 850-horsepower unlimited production trucks and Class 1 open-wheelers will once again have special qualifying sessions for start positions live here 
on BajaRacingNews.com Tuesday, November 3rd, on a special 3.6-mile course on the off-road track from the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Yeah, it's all during the SEMA Dog and Pony Show. More next.
kind of Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Our thought, no. Amongst our weapons. Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. <laughs> I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as fear, surprise, ruthless efficiency, and almost fanatical devotion to the Pope and nice red uniform. Oh. <laughs> I, I can't say it. You'll have to say it. What? You'll have to say the bit about our chief weapons. Ah, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Uh, uh, nobody, um, expects, nobody expects the, um, Spanish, um... Inquisition? I know, I know. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. In fact, those who do expect... Our chief weapons are... Our chief weapons are... Um... Uh... Surprise. Surprise. Stop, stop, stop there, stop there, stop. Ah. Our chief weapon is surprise. Blah, 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 blah. Cardinal, read the charges. You are hereby charged that you did, on thy first sight, commit charity against the Holy Church. My own. That's enough! <laughs> now, how do you plead? For innocent. <laughs> we'll soon change your mind about that. <laughs> Fear, surprise, the most ruthless. Ooh. <clears throat> now, Cardinal. down. Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. 
To combat the rising tide of religious unorthodoxy, the Pope gave Cardinal Jimenez of Spain leave to move without let or hindrance throughout the land in a reign of violence, terror, and torture that makes a smashing film. This was the Spanish Inquisition. Thank <laughs> you. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.